You're listening to Run Hard, Mom Hard, presented by Treeline Journal and hosted by Nikki Parnell and Steph Moniker. We're here to listen and share stories of motherhood and life from the trails from mamas who run ultra marathons. We hope to be a resource and encouragement to all moms who continue to show up, run, and chase their dreams even after having kids. It's not easy, and we'll talk about all the hard and real parts that make up this crazy lifestyle. But we're also here to celebrate and inspire each other to keep finding their inner mom strength that allows us to show this sport new levels of grit and show our kids that so much is possible. Welcome to another episode of Run Hard, Mom Hard. Today, we have Caitlin Jacobson on the show. Before we get into that, Steph, how are you today? Um, well, as you listen to the podcast, you'll notice I'm kind of in a brain fog. <laughs> I've just been <laughs> so tired. Joanna has been waking up in the middle of the night, sometimes two or three times a night. Oof. And she's like crying like, Mommy, I need you. And I don't know what it is. And I'm so tired and like, I'm trying to be calm with her, but at the same time, and I'm like, why are you waking up so much at night? I'm exhausted. I already wake up enough to go to the bathroom. <laughs> and, um, so I'm just really, I'm really tired today. And I've also like slowed down a lot in running lately. Yeah. I'm walking a lot more. That happens, Steph. I don't know, but it's just so I don't know. Like there was one day I'm like, oh, I feel great. I'm going to go for a run. And then I got on the treadmill and it was like, nope. Your body's like, just kidding. You're going to walk today. Yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to walk. I want to run, but I couldn't get it going. <laughs> so yeah. I walked. Yeah. But I moved for a while. So that was nice to have, but it's, really fun like the baby is starting to move a ton now mm-hmm. um they actually moved my date up like five days because the baby was big on my ultrasound really yeah which huh. I didn't I remember Joanna being a even though she was really tiny when she was born but I remember her measuring like slightly bigger but it must have only been like two or three days even though she hmm. was born two weeks early but um, this must have been a big enough jump that they were like, yeah, we'll just move it back. So now it's the day after my brother's birthday. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. July 14th. 14th. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll yeah. Maybe you have a little big one in there. I know. Um, They're like a big head and a big belly. I'm like, oh, oh. good. <laughs> That's going to feel great. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and maybe um, you're feeling that, you know, with the, the running too. Like, you know what? I mean, there's always like each day the position can just feel different sometimes. And then sometimes you really just feel heavy. And yeah. maybe that little bean in there is just heavy on you. I know. I know. Yeah. Well, it was almost, it was like really, really close to a pound or slightly over a pound. At the ultrasound, and they're like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, that's bigger than normal. But it wasn't, like, obviously concerning. Like, it wasn't like yeah. the baby was, like, so big. Right. But it was just, like, above average. I'm like, okay. Mm. Yeah. So Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, don't beat yourself up on the hard days because yeah. the next day could be better. For sure. Yeah. <sighs> Even though oh, it's hard. Yeah, it is hard. But 
And if anyone has any tips about toddlers waking up, let me know. <laughs> oh. Uh. <laughs> I just feel like sometimes it just comes in waves, know. you know, and it's like a thing, you know, maybe she's reacting to something in, in life or like, or maybe she's like just feeling slightly off, you know, it's yeah. like my kids always sleep kind of weird when something their like health is on yeah. the verge of dropping or something. Yeah. I don't know. Well, she had mentioned yesterday that her ears were hurting. And I was like, or her ear, her one ear. And I was like, oh, no. Because, so she got tubes at six months. When she was six months old. She got what? Her tubes. Ear tubes. Oh, oh. Oh. When she was six months. Because she had, from that RSV incident, when she was like two months old, it was four months of straight ear infections. Ooh. Like she was constantly on antibiotics. So she was constantly sick. Or I was constantly taking off work. It was so bad. And then she finally got tubes and they're like, well, she might have to have them when she's older if her ears haven't corrected themselves. Oh. And I was like, oh, perfect. <laughs> so then when she mentioned her oh. ear was hurting because her tubes have fallen out now, I was like, ah, I really hope I don't have to. Interesting. <laughs> Oh, I, I don't remember if it was Aaron or his brother that had tubes twice, but Aaron had tubes at least once. I don't wow. know if it was him or his brother, but huh. they both had tubes and one of them had them twice. Okay. <sighs> so. Okay. Well, hmm. Hopefully it's just nothing. And she I sleeps so. like a little, a little silent angel tonight. <laughs> yes yeah anyway oh how about you how's it going it's going good um well so my running has been a little off ever since the 10 mile race last week yeah I um well okay so I ran the race and pretty much haven't really run since um my body's just felt not like, I mean, it, it felt like it recovered, um, you know, like my legs and back and, you know, things that were kind of achy afterwards, yeah. like recovered fairly normal. I mean, I, I could barely walk the rest of that day, but, um, you know, it got better. Um, but yeah, just, it hasn't been feeling awesome. Um, and then I actually did spend a couple hours in the hospital, oh. um, a couple nights ago. Yeah. I just, I was having, um, cramping like off and on all day. And then, um, so they just kind of, I had tried like to, um, hydrate a bunch and like take a warm bath and they kind of went away, but then they came back and just because it was after hours is mm -hmm. why I had to like go to the hospital probably would have just been the doctor's office had it been during the day. Um, yeah. but they just wanted to make sure I wasn't in preterm labor or at risk for it. And everything ended up looking fine. You know, it always just takes a long time. Once you're there, you're kind of stuck there and, um, yeah. but it, everything looked good. They like measured my cervix and, and it was long and closed and they ran a test, like a swab test, um, that said there wasn't any of, um, these certain proteins that mm. are, that 
are around when you're going to be going into labor, you okay. know, like it's like when some of the walls split and I don't know what walls, um, <laughs> remember, <laughs> but it's like, um, anyway, they weren't there. So the percentage of me going into labor right now is very low. So it's okay. But I was just kind of like, ah, and I think maybe I was just underhydrated, like yeah. just kind of as a result, maybe from the race. I don't know. Yeah. Um, who knows? And you've just been taking it easy now. Yeah, I've rested a lot um, this week and just trying to listen a little bit more c- closely, carefully to my mm-hmm. body. And you and my friend Val. So Val is about a month ahead of you. And you both went into the hospital like the same night because she was having some early stuff. It ended up being a UTI, but she was like mm. in extreme pain. Ooh. She thought she was going to be like, she thought she was in labor. Um, and it was, I don't know. It, I guess it was a pretty scary weekend for them too. Wow. Yes. Yeah. And they did check for a UTI also on me. Um, mm. Just cause I guess that, yeah, that can happen. It can happen. Um, yeah, so I'm glad um, everything seemed okay. You know, the doctor was like, you know, try and try and stay pre- stay pregnant a little bit longer. <laughs> You're like, <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm only at 30. Oh, I'm 31 weeks now, so. Yeah. But, yeah. Anyway, just kind of um, dealing with that. But, okay, oh, one other thing I was going to mention is... Um, we've decided, so right now our car is fairly small and we've been talking about maybe getting a bigger car, preferably like a van that could one day be kind of, you know, turned into a camper van type thing. We're actually not going to do that right now. Um, (laughs) because we, we just, we really like don't want to take on a car payment, Um, we don't have one right now. And, and it's like, you know, we're just, we're always so blown away by like how locked down everyone is by payments, by mortgage and, you know, bills and like everything and cars and like, and then just always getting bigger things because your family's growing, which is understandable and, um, happens, but it's like, we're gonna, we decided that we're going to attempt, we're going to challenge ourselves (laughs) to try and keep the car we have now. And we're getting, I just bought some new car seats that -hmm. are like narrower and supposedly you can fit like three across. Um, So it'd be like two um, of these new car seats for like Fashion Bellin and then the baby one. Um, And we're just going to try it and see. We're going to put like a roof rack on our car and um, my parents have one of those, you know, boxes. Yeah. uh, the top and um yeah so we're I mean I'm kind of like a little invigorated by that you know like Mm -hmm. when every time you like try and um live minimally or simply Mm -hmm. like in in a small setting it's like you've got to like kind of rise to the occasion and like get more organized you know like I um Mm -hmm. We're like getting like double bags um, for the kids. So like, you know, we're all just going to have like our systems of like, mm-hmm. 
day bags and overnight stuff and like just so we can still get out and adventure but it's like less you know Mm -hmm. does that make sense I don't know I'm rambling but no anyway so car payments are awful yeah can't wait till I'm done with car payments yeah so I've been looking up like minimalist like toy minimalism for the kid Mm -hmm. yeah because I was the other day, I think I threw I, I threw a trash bag of toys away, but they were all like they were broken or they're missing parts or they're like it's a puzzle, a wood puzzle, but all of the actual pieces are missing. So I'm just like, mm-hmm. why do we have so much junk in this mm-hmm. house? Mm-hmm. So I've been trying to get back to being a little bit less, yeah, taking up less oh. space in our house and. Less to clean up. I'm just like, yes. I don't want right. to. I don't want to bend over a thousand times a day to clean up all your toys. <laughs> oh yeah, it's been a struggle for us too with that, and and it's going to be because when Dash and Bellin move into a room together, oh. that's going to be an interesting <laughs> situation because Dash really fills up his room. I mean, his like, I think both of my kids maybe might be little hoarders. Little mini hoarders. <laughs> um, so, and it's really kind of a struggle to like for Dash to like keep his room clean, and that's mm. it's really frustrating for me. Um, but I know that part of that is my fault, and I need to like work with him on it. But anyway, this episode is sponsored by Recore Fitness. Recore Fitness is the ultimate resource for pregnant women and new moms. They're all about helping women improve core and pelvic floor strength, stability, and function through pregnancy and recovery. They provide safe strength programs for pregnancy and postpartum, personal training and coaching, and support bands that help women during all nine months of pregnancy and afterwards. Yes, we've both tried the Maternity Fit Splint, and we cannot say enough good things about this. This is a band that you can wear three different ways. It helps you run during your pregnancy. Each way you can wear it helps to support either like the back, the belly, the bladder, the hips, the pelvis. Um, you can configure it to your needs for that, for that day, you know, every day in pregnancy can feel really different. And so I've had a lot of fun playing with, um, different ways to wear the band and it's really adjustable. The fabric is comfortable, which is just not the case with all maternity belts. I have tried several and, um, this one just feels, it feels like the Cadillac of maternity bands versus like an old beat up pickup truck. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just, they also include like core exercises to do while you're pregnant. And um, it's made a huge difference uh, with me in my running and, and stuff too. They also make a postnatal fit splint that is designed for the first four to six weeks of postpartum life. Recore has helped a lot of mother runners that we look up to, like Allison Felix, Steph Bruce, Alicia Montano, just to name a couple. Um, they've helped them get back to running and regaining their strength after babies. And so we just love everything they're doing to support women through all these stages that we go through. Yeah, so you can go to recorefitness.com and use code RHMH15 
for 15% off fit splints or instant access to the pre-core, re-core online programs. Like I mentioned before, today we have Caitlin Jacobson on the podcast. She is a certified eating disorder recovery coach. She's a mom of three kids. She's an ultra runner. She lives in Washington. And she tells us a lot of her life story, which is beautiful, um, about her childhood, her running, um, her running in college, which did not go well and is where a lot of hardship happened. And then how she came back to running and her motherhood journey. We hear all kinds of amazing things from Caitlin. We really loved hearing about how she is inspiring others and helping others through the recovery process after an eating disorder, um, especially moms, how they have to go through so many changes and kind of get over those hurdles and how we can kind of look for signs or red flags with our kids, how we can talk to our kids about their bodies so that maybe they have a lesser chance of having an eating disorder or going through body shaming. I think she said fat phobia a few times on, you know, what the culture is like in where we are right now in society. So we really hope you enjoy this episode. Give it a listen. Caitlin, how are you doing today? Great. Just uh, finished up a workout in the Mount in Squawk Mountain, where I live in Issaquah. Um, got my kids plenty of snacks, and now I'm really happy to be here uh, talking to the two of you. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah, we're excited to have you today. Uh, can you give us just a little introduction on who you are and um, what your life looks like and what you do? Yeah, sure. Um, so my name is Caitlin. I currently live in Issaquah, Washington with my husband and three kids. Um, I am finding myself wanting to say my name is Caitlin Jacobson because um, there is a very famous Caitlin Gerben who lives in Issaquah who has become one of my good friends. Um, and sometimes I get asked, I've been asked on trails and races, oh, are you Caitlin Gerben? No, I'm Caitlin Jacobson. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, not to be confused with the other Caitlin who lives in Issaquah, who I'll pro- I'm sure I will mention later because she has been really um, super inspirational to me. Um, and really, yeah. So anyway, live in Issaquah. Um, I'm from Chicago originally. And I was, I'll share a little bit about, um, yeah, my, my childhood. That's okay. Cause I think it yeah. is formational and who I am, um, and everything yeah, I do. We love that. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. So I was born on the South, in the South side of Chicago, um, to two parents who were 23. Um, and I was born the second of four children, um, to a, um, my dad. So right before I was, my older sister was born. So about a year and a half before I came into this world, my dad was in an accident um, where he lost his sight and really changed my parents' lives um, forever. And he had, so he has never seen any of his children. Um, Yeah. And I, yeah, as, as mothers, I'm sure you can all relate. I couldn't imagine. (laughs) Right. No, that's wow. That's wow. That's crazy. Yeah so, they, yeah. so I was, um, yeah, just born into an interesting circumstance where my 
mother was working in a grocery store really just to make ends meet. Um, and my dad was at home um, taking care of us, of my sister and I. And yeah, two two little girls under age two, uh, while completely blind in learning to read and write in Bra- with Braille, um, learning to use a cane, just relearning how to live completely. Um, and so we grew up with a um, you know, level of poverty, a lot of food scarcity, um, but also with this notion of like of hard work and resilience um, and so much love and family bonds and um, religion was very important um, in my life too and in my parents' lives. Um, and so I think I, I've grown to learn at an older age that I grew up very independent, self-sufficient. I think part of it being the circumstance I was born into, part of it maybe being the second child, birth order, um, kind of just wanting to be easy, not take up a lot of space, not have many needs. Um, and yeah, and that, that was the way I thrived as a child. Um, played a lot of sports growing up. I played bas- um, yeah, played basketball, volleyball, baseball. Um, in high school, I played varsity basketball, volleyball, track and cross country. Um, still living in Chicago. Um, my parents still live in the house I grew up in wow. uh, or that we moved to when I was about seven um, when they were able to buy a house and get out of our apartment. Um, so, yeah, I was very sporty, athletic. Um, I think I, I also got, a, you know, some recognition and positive feedback um, for performing well in sports. And so that really like fed my competitive side. Um, I've always been really competitive some early stories of with my older sister learning to ride a bike and probably I think around like age five or six. And um, I just got on the bike and started riding by myself next to her because I had to keep up. <laughs> um, and that was how I got into running too, was my junior year of, or no, sorry, my, um, my se- seventh grade year. So junior <laughs> high, uh, my older sister was running with her high school team and running cross country in the summer. And I think I was just bored, probably, yeah, very high energy kid. And my dad was like, why don't you just go to practice with your sister? Um, So I showed up and I remember that first day running on the streets of Chicago with like 50 other girls and just thought, this is the coolest thing in the world. Um, Yeah, just that sense of like, wow, I feel like, feel invincible and so strong. and I'm sure we ran a mile or two and it felt like, you know, a marathon or a hundred miles. <laughs> um, but yeah, totally loved it and connected with other girls. So then I, I went to a different high school, a very small high school on the South side of Chicago. And um, that's where I yeah played all the sports. And then my junior year of high school, I decided to just run. I was really um, beginning yeah, I think beginning to realize like I didn't love the ball sports. I wasn't that good at them. I only did okay because of my speed. Um, like I remember played point guard and I could steal the ball, run down the court, and then I didn't know what to do with it. Um, <laughs> could never score. Um, and I had coaches who I think lots of male coaches who there was a lot of yelling and a lot of um, like that just didn't didn't work well for me. I think I was too, I was very quiet and intimidated and just like to run. So junior year fully went all in with running. 
um, I also was the only, at that time, I was the only runner on my team. I didn't have a cross country team. Um, yeah, I was at, yeah. And I'm happy to go back to those points later too. Um, (laughs) but I was a small school and cross country was not appealing to many people. They didn't understand. And so I just ran by myself. Um, my dad was my coach, um, on paper because I needed a coach, but he really didn't know anything about running. Um, so largely self-coached, I would read every magazine, Runner's World, um, like the Foot Locker. I think there was like a Foot Locker high school cross country magazine back then. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would just, yeah, just study everything and became a total student of the sport, went to camps and really just like soaked up everything I could learn. Um, and some was helpful. Some was harmful. I think I had a, a lot of overtraining. Uh, my junior year, I also lost my best friend, um, died in a car accident. Oh. And yeah, so it was a it was a hard year. I think that that age also being like mm-hmm. 17, 18, is just rough. Um, yeah, and I had lost my best childhood friend and really fully turned into running at that point. Um, and I don't not in a very healthy way, just. I remember lacing up my shoes and kind of going back to that independent little girl of like, I can do this. I can get through this Um, and began to struggle with an eating disorder. But it was I was not open about it at all. Um, I think my parents did bring me to had some concerns and brought me to a doctor at one point. And the doctor um, was not super helpful um, and kind of told my parents some things they could do. Um, to help me to track and that really just I think pushed me further into the ED sure Um, I also was still running really well and competing well in high school so um, gaining some recognition and some recruitment calls from collegiate coaches and so it was hard to really um, it was hard to really I guess think I was doing anything wrong Yeah. And and now, um, now, yeah, I work in eating disorders and I'll get into that and specialize in it. So now I, I understand all the processes of how, yes, when someone's in early phases of an eating disorder, sometimes you do get really fast um, for a short period of time, but it Mm -hmm. doesn't, doesn't last. And so by the time I got to college, um, I went to Claremont McKenna College, which is in um, LA area, one of the Claremont colleges, it's division three. And I ran, I was recruited to run cross country and track there. Um, but I was also very much there as a student. Um, it's a, yeah, very good school. And I was studying neuroscience, um, running varsity, and just my body was beginning to break um, in my mind in every way. It was just a really, um, yeah, really challenging time in my life. And I had a, and I'm happy to get back into this later too, but yeah, I had quite a traumatic experience running there on the team um, and with the coach. And so finally, my junior year, um, I I had spent um, so much time on crutches and doing cross training, lots of stress fractures, um, still hiding the eating disorder. Um, I had begun to ask for help in very indirect ways, I think, and was just so scared so attached to it, so lost, um, and didn't have the support. Um, 
and also was on a team where eating disorders were so pervasive and so normalized that it didn't it didn't seem that I was doing anything different from anyone else. Um, And really, really, I wasn't. So. So, yeah, I'm happy to go back to that later, too. Um, So then, yeah, I'll kind of go quickly through the next parts. But then I stopped. Basically, I graduated college um, after three and a half years because I just wanted to get out and get away from the school, from the coach. Um, And then I picked up road cycling um, when I wanted I. I was so used to being an athlete and I think I didn't, I was really struggling with identity pieces, um, not being able to run anymore. So I stopped running, picked up, started riding my bike and um, met my husband, my now husband that way. Um, so we met through like collegiate club cycling and I stopped running then from about ages 21 to 24. Okay. Um, and I left college hating the sport. I absolutely hated running, had a terrible relationship with myself, with my body, with running. Um, and I needed, I definitely needed those three years to heal every part of myself. Um, and that's when I began to do some therapy, finally sought out a therapist and support. Um, also started meeting some other women, especially, um, yeah, started meeting some women whether on the bike or off the bike, who I saw really fueling themselves um, hmm. and had healthy relationships with food, with exercise, with their bodies. Um, and I, it was cycling for me was a really positive experience of like, oh, wow, you can, you can eat and love yeah. yourself and do this for fun and push yourself and still, you know, still compete and like be a strong athlete. Um, but it was, yeah, it was very different from the, what I had experienced with running. Um, yeah. And then kind of, I guess, fast forwarding a little bit too. I, I got married when I was quite young, got married at age 22. Um, I felt like I was a grown up and much older, um, <laughs> probably than I even feel now. And so I had my first kid at age, um, or I got pregnant when I was 23. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Okay. It makes me feel a little bit better sometimes. <laughs> so, I mean, I was so young. Um, I think with the eating disorder history, I had so many doctors tell me you might never be able to get pregnant. And so my husband and I had like one discussion about, I mean, one discussion I can remember about like, maybe we should start trying because it could take many years. And then I was pregnant the next day. Oh my, oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then through motherhood is really like where I found running again. Um, and ac- I kind of say accidentally and found trail running accidentally. Cause I just, I got a running stroller and we would just, just a cheap, cheap one from Costco. And um, I, I was struggling with some postpartum depression, which yeah, I'm happy to get into more later too. And Finally, like maybe when she was six to nine months old, I was like, I need to get out of the house. I need to just start going on walks with her. And so I put her in the stroller and we'd walk. Um, I was, we were living in Woodland Hills at that time of California, which is like near, um, it's the Valley of LA. Okay. um, Right off Dirt Mulholland, which had actually had access to like 150, maybe more miles of trails. Oh, Um, wow. Nice. um, 
this like secret hidden gem of LA. And so I, yeah, met some great trail runners there who also have been so, um, they're still a huge part of my life and brought me back into the sport and showed me that, um, yeah, just showed me like how much fun it could be. And it was a whole trail running, especially was such a different experience for me from collegiate running and from road running. And yeah, I met some wonderful friends who, who really empowered me and convinced me to like, just get out there and have fun and play in the mountains. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'll kind of pause there and I'm happy to like get into racing and all anything. <laughs> There's so much there. <laughs> yes. I mean, this is an incredible story and um, there's a lot I want to jump back to. Um, I mean, even, gosh, let's see where to start. Um, like, I'm curious, I, I'm kind of curious. I kind of want to go back to your dad for just like a second. Um, and how, like, it seems like you learned a lot from him, especially on, on your personal learning and like, you know, he was relearning how to live his life. You were learning how to run through magazines, like self-teaching yourself. And, and you went to school for neuroscience and all of these things. Um, like how, how did he support you and, and how, what, what was it like with your parents? Um, like when you were running, like back when you were a kid or, or, you know, through high school, like, were they there watching? I mean, your dad couldn't really watch you run, but like, what was it like his support there? And, um, yeah, I'll just leave that at that. Yeah. Yeah. Those are good questions. Um, there's a lot there. Yeah. My, yeah, so my my dad and and I suddenly became aware too that I didn't talk about my mom much either. And being a mother myself, I'm like I can't can't leave those parts out um, because mm-hmm. she has, yeah, she is just such an incredible strong woman who had to really step up in so many ways and change her mm-hmm. life and raised for um, yeah my parents. We have two younger siblings as well, um, three years three years and then six years younger are my other two, my brother and sister. So she raised four kids. Um, I mean, they, so much of the parent, so much of their parenting was co-parenting in this really beautiful way. Um, and the different roles they had to step up into. And my mom always being the one like, because, and I don't think she was like this before my dad's accident, but super handy, you know, she's the plumber and, (sighs) Um, she, she fixes everything and mm-hmm. does like, is the one with the, who does the power tools and does the manual labor, um, and all of these skills that I have no desire to do in my own relationship. Um, <laughs> yeah, but she had to, yeah, yeah, she had to. And so a lot of resiliency on her end, for sure, of like just mm-hmm. the way she stepped up and had to do these things. And then my dad's strength and having to relearn, um, so much mm-hmm. and he went my parents, um, part of it probably being their, yeah, I mentioned they're very religious and Catholic. Um, part of it probably being their faith, but they say that the accident was the best thing that ever happened to them. Mm-hmm. Um, they really, the way it kind of was a wake up call and a big question of what are we doing with our lives and what do we want to do and how can we live more meaningfully? 
Um, neither of them were doing any jobs that they had passion or um, really an interest in. And so mm-hmm. following the accident, my dad went back to school. So he ended up um, going to University of Chicago on scholarship, I believe, um, and studying social work. And so he has worked his whole career as a social worker um, and a psychotherapist. Wow. Um, That's and, amazing. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. And has, so I definitely the, um, you know, I look at the, the careers that my siblings and I have all chosen, which are very much these helping careers. And two of my sisters have their dual degrees in social work and public health. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my brother is a, actually just became a licensed therapist, uh, marriage and family therapist, I believe in Montana and then myself um going into becoming a yeah going into the field of eating disorders and mm-hmm. uh, working as a recovery coach and milieu therapist um so i think these the stories i guess and the way yeah the stories we grew up with and that were part of our lives really led us into these um like helping professions and um being very tied to community i think and giving back and being aware of our privilege and like, how can we, how can we use our lives um, in everything we do um, to, to benefit others and to make life a little bit better for others as well. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And then I guess going, going back to the question of like, how were my parents involved with sport too? And were they physically there? Um, So yeah, my dad, I think they had to split up a lot of the duties, parenting duties as we all know, um, and with four kids and four kids who are all athletes and all doing various sports and activities, I'm sure on the same day, same time, all, all the time. Um, yeah, all of, all of us were, I mean, even thinking about it now, I don't know how, how they did it because all of us were doing so many sports. My youngest sister was a competitive gymnast. Older sister was running as well, but for a different high school, my brother was playing football um, and maybe baseball. He did a few sports too. Um, so yeah, they, my, I think they, they split the duties a lot. Um, and my dad would come. So since he was my coach, um, and the two of us have always been really close. He always, I, I think he was at every single race I've ever, I had ever run. Mm. Oh my um, gosh. Yeah. So he was always there and his dad, so my grandpa would, was the driver um, since mm-hmm. my dad could drive and mm-hmm. I, I was too young to drive in the beginning. Um, and I think then I was too nervous to drive once I did have my license, like before. Was. <laughs> so yeah, it was, I have really beautiful memories of my grandpa, um, my dad and I going to races um, and my grandfather just died in December of COVID complications. Oh, oh I'm so sorry. Oh. <sighs> yeah, so sorry. I mean, it's <sighs> been hard for all of us, but I, I, during that time, I was looking back at old photos and came across a photo of myself, my dad and my grandpa at the state in Illinois state indoor track meet. Um, and it was just a beautiful memory of my grandpa being there with us and how, um, just how proud he was to like be the driver to take me to the state championship meet. Um, yeah Yeah, and he was so involved and Mm -hmm. did would he like kind of um sit with your dad and and tell him Mm -hmm. like how the race was going and and how you were doing and in it and 
all that. Yeah. Yeah. So she would always provide the updates, tell my dad and in such a sweet way. And that um, my dad is really competitive and really harsh. Um, I think on himself and always pushed me. I mean, just, yeah, always like really motivating and inspiring, but pushed me to be my best. And my grandpa, I think was a really good balancing factor um, mm-hmm. because I, yeah, I remember I would finish the races and he would ask right away, okay, when are we going to go get food? Or like, where can we go find a hot dog? <laughs> and, and just this great, yeah, balance between the competitiveness and just the like, okay, you're done running. Let's go get food. That's what's kind of, yeah, kind of like a, a soft place to land yeah. after, like no matter yeah. what happened, it's like, it's going to be fine. You're yeah. just going to go find some food. <laughs> yep. Yeah, like exactly. It. And just the person at the finish line to give me a big hug and yeah, like, and like had no idea what a fast time was. Or, and I'm sure I, I love that. at that age, I wanted him to know probably, but so appreciate now that, um, that unconditional love. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. And so then what was it like moving across the country to go to college? I mean, with, without your support system there, I mean, what was that like? Yeah, that's a really great question and something that I I don't think I've even thought about that much um, because I always, I think this independent side of me Hmm. always knew I wanted to go away and so eager to, I was really eager to leave the South side of Chicago. Um, My whole, I have a large, like huge Irish Catholic family in Chicago. Both of my parents were one of six siblings. Um, and I, I mean, over 50 cousins, just huge, huge family. And my parents, I think because they never had the opportunity to leave, um, and they never had that privilege. They really pushed their own kids to go away to school Mm -hmm. and really prioritized education. And so it was never, I, I did not apply to any schools in the Midwest. Um, I looked all out East. And then and thought for sure I would actually go to the East Coast um, and then just to the one school in California. And I did my recruiting visits, um, meeting the teams during January and February. And so I remember I would go out east and visit these schools and they were all like running on treadmills um, because the roads were iced over. And then I went to Claremont McKenna, which is yeah outside of L.A. And um everyone was running in sports bras and shorts. And I was like, Oh wow. Like you can do that <laughs> in January, um, which is what landed me out West. And I think it, yeah, I mean, it was, it was definitely challenging as seeing like all the mental health struggles that I really, mm-hmm. that, that came up then. Um, and that I don't think I was prepared for in any way. Um, and me, yeah. And the, and the running team, was everything to me was like my family. And then once I was injured, found myself injured and couldn't, didn't feel like I belonged or fit in or like deserve to be a part of the team, probably some of those aspects too. That's when things really fell apart. I think. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, because oh, um, I kind of have a two part question that kind of ties into support system. So yeah. is your husband's husband's family from LA or Washington where you are now? No, they're not. So you guys are just like by yourself. I mean, I'm sure you have friends there, but like you're by yourselves 
you were in LA and now you're in Washington by yourselves too. Yeah. And between those two, we lived in Portland, Oregon for okay. about, um, about a year and a half to two years too. No, his family's in New Mexico, um, in Albuquerque. And then my family's all back in Chicago. So when we were in LA, yeah, support, I think I didn't have a support network probably until, um, my second daughter was born. And so around age 24, 25, um, when I think that's, yeah, becoming a mother, when I kind of realized like, okay, I, I can't do this alone. Yeah. Um, and also maybe I don't need to do this alone. Right. Anymore. Um, and I can ask for help. And I think, and probably working with a therapist for sure was instrumental in teasing all these old stories apart like that, what it means to be brave or strong you know, mm-hmm. before I thought it was, I'm self-sufficient. I don't have needs. I can just do this on my own. Um, and then, yeah, reaching out for help and support. Um, yeah. and I think that even ties into like a lot of the running as a mother and stories I've looked at. And even, um, you know, when my kids were little, probably for six, almost six years exclusively, I ran with a stroller, um, pushing them <sighs> single, double, and then the triple stroller. Um, <laughs> Insane. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> we need we will touch on that because I just need to know how you did that. But yeah. and I, You know, it was a mix that I look back on and I've looked back with a therapist on like, who was who was I at that time? Like, who was Caitlin and why was she doing this? And I think it really was a mix between um, these beautiful memories I will always treasure of sharing miles with my kids but also still believing that I didn't need to ask for help and that I could do it alone and I can get this triple stroller and I can load up the kids and I can push 160 pounds worth of weight, like up the Hills um, because then I wouldn't need help and I wouldn't need to ask for help. So I think a, a lot that I've learned since then and a lot of the work I do speak, talking with other um, whether it's clients in eating disorder recovery or new mothers who run, um, it's really piecing, teasing these things apart and, yeah. and talking about like, okay, how do we learn to take up space and how, mm-hmm. yeah, lot, lots of it. It's yeah. so, I know I relate, I'm in that point right now and I would love to not get in that, be in this mm-hmm. space where like, it's really hard for me to ask for help. And Aaron, will, my husband will just be like, just ask my mom to come over and help, but I'm like, I can do it all myself. Like I'll just get it done. And I just, I know I need to just, but we just do that until we like literally can't anymore. And then we blow up and burn out. I mean, in running or motherhood or, you know, and it's kind of a dangerous cycle. Um, and I mean, for you, I wonder like asking for help, it wasn't really something you could do in college because you were surrounded by other people that needed the same help that you did. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, what was your experience with that? And, and like, just, I mean, you, you had mentioned that eating disorders were like really, um, it was a very common thing where you were and, Mm -hmm. So how, I mean, how did you manage that? And, 
And then, I mean, I guess maybe you didn't until later when you kind of healed mm-hmm. with biking and stuff. But And, and yeah. can I add one more question on top of that? Those questions. Yeah. <laughs> like, why, why do you think it's so common for female athletes and especially like female collegiate athletes to have these issues? Because I know plenty of women that I used to run cross country with who went to college and ran and they had a lot of eating disorders as well. And they were in the Midwest too. So it's not like just a, you know, not mm-hmm. just LA, California. I mean, it was, I mean, it's mm-hmm. all everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. It's so prevalent in the sport. Um, yeah. There's a lot there. I'm, um, <laughs> Nikki, remind me of the, the first part. <laughs> Oh, oh, your guess is as good as mine. (laughs) Asking for help. And um, no, I think you're right. In college, I was not able, I was not prepared to ask for help. I was not able to ask for help. Um, Whether that's where I was on my own journey and just not, not seeing it, not reaching, reaching that point where I believed I could ask for help or could like have these needs. Um, it still felt very selfish almost. And then yes, the normalization within the team, within the sport. Um, I have a few memories of, as I mentioned, like asking indirectly for help of going to my assistant coach. Um, all our coaches were male. We had three male coaches. Um, eating disorders were never, there was no discussion on them. Um, even though my the freshman year when I joined the team, our top runner was struggling with a really severe eating disorder um, and had to left the team may, maybe only a couple races in, like basically came out on fire, broke breaking course records and then disappeared one day. Um, and there was one discussion that okay, she went, she, she's no longer on the team. She had to check into an eating disorder treatment center. And that was it. Um, and then I watched that cycle through the team. Um, and so it was, the messaging felt very clear to me that we were disposable. Um, Yeah. You were not taken care of at all. No, 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 not at all. Um, and no one seemed to have an issue with it. And I was not in the place to, to challenge that, I I still just bought into it fully. Um, I I do have to say though there were a few, there were like two or three women that I remember who left the team, who joined as freshmen, and who I think left the team because they were strong enough and empowered enough to recognize this is not okay. This is not what I want to be a part of. I don't want to run for this coach or this program, and so they probably were the strong ones who left. Um, maybe they tried to say something and their voices were quieted. I mean, I think that's so much right of like what, what we as women have been fighting against. Um, I do have to say a positive that I have actually, my husband and I were just talking about yesterday Uh is that after, I mean, so I graduated in 2007, um, just last spring, the, um, just last spring, the women's team. Um, at my college stood up and all stood up for themselves and the coach was asked to leave. Um, Just last spring. (laughs) spring. So, so many, many years of abuse. Um, the, I mean, the, the progress, I guess I I do want to name the progress that like, okay, at least 
yes, it's, it took way, way too long, but at least now there is progress. At least now, like those women yeah. were able to stand up mm-hmm. and ask for what they needed when we weren't. Um, so yeah, I, I remember having one discussion with my assistant coach where I came and basically said that um, I had shared like some, some behaviors I was experiencing and, and asking for help. Um, and his response was very, very much normalized it of just said like, Oh, that's, that's just, a, you're just stressed. I think his comment was basically that you're just stressed. You're just under a lot of stress. And so it's, it just, I think I like put that pot, put that comment back in my pocket and was like, okay, like I'm resilient. I'm strong. I'm tough. I'm independent. I can get through this mm-hmm. and never, um, yeah, like never, never mentioned, maybe you need help. Maybe, maybe we can get a therapist for you. Maybe you could talk to someone. It was just, just kind of telling me to calm down. Yeah. And just keep going and just keep doing your thing. And even if it leads to, um, literally having to go to like the hospital, like just keep going. Yeah. Yeah. And then Steph to go, yeah, it's kind of to your question too, leading into that. I think there's, you know, eating disorders are such complex, multifaceted disorders and so many causes, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of overlap with um, like personality traits and temperament that I think, um, you know, very over-controlled personalities, um, lots of type A, rule followers, hard workers that are attracted to the sport. And I think these things that can make us really, really um, strong athletes and like tough distance runners, especially, um, also make someone really good at having an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to also there's, I mean, there's another, this could be a whole podcast in itself, but the fat phobic um, sport, well, society and also culture of distance running is something that something that's been on my mind a lot lately of how much work we still have to do in this in our sport um, mm-hmm. and in the sport that I absolutely love, like running is my greatest passion um, or one of my greatest passions, but there's so, so much stigma against body changes and um, fat phobia. And I think we, we as a, as a culture and sport have a long way to come. What do you think that work is that we need to do? Hmm. Yeah. That's a good question. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think, let's see. Yeah, I think there's a lot of pieces of it. I think a piece is starting at the, at the youth level, um, starting or even as mothers, I guess it's, it's how we talk about our bodies in food and exercise in sport. And, um, I mean, I'm very, very conscious of all of that, um, seeing as how, it really might, I had, there was a lot of fat phobia in my family growing up, um, in my extended family. And so I see that like when I, when I reached junior high and my body started to change and I started to go through puberty or it could be the same, um, same line along the same lines when you become pregnant and your body's changing. And if we are so afraid of these changes and if we're, it's so ingrained in us, um, these messages about what it means to gain weight or to allow our body to change. Like it is terrifying 
and so scary. And then I think especially like the way that goes back to, um, to how we talk about it. If as mothers and females in our society and we need males, you know, half the population to step up and do the same, but to really accept body changes, accept all bodies, accept all foods, um, not carry about these like harsh judgments about what it means, whether like what it means to look like a runner, um, what foods a runner should eat. I think all of that is just so, so harmful and leads to so many eating disorders. Um, I do a lot of work with collegiate athletes in my private practice um, where I work as an eating disorder recovery coach and giving talks to teams. Um, and I've, was recently a counselor for um, a camp counselor for Wildwood PDX, which is a great organization in that um, Robin and Marie, who two women in Portland, Oregon, started. Um, to they started this thing called Girl Talk, where they talk to their high school their high school um, distance coaches, cross country track coaches, and they talk to their athletes about about girl stuff, about getting your period, um, about your body changing, about emotions, um, about so many important topics that like, that are not, were never discussed when I was a young athlete. And that I think so many people, so many coaches still are like afraid of these, afraid of talking about these things. So I think that is huge. Um, yeah, just more, a lot more openness, a lot more talking. I think, more people sharing. I think it is helpful. People sharing their own vulnerability and journeys and stories and um, what it means to like be a strong athlete and to be brave and how that means asking for help. Mm-hmm. In those ways, um, yeah, yeah. There's a lot there. Um, mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. I, I guess I haven't. I didn't even get to the point of my story too, where I. I work, so I work part-time in private practice and then part-time at Opal Food and Body Wisdom in Seattle, which is just an incredible eating disorder treatment center um, that has a focus on athletes. And so I'm, I have the privilege to be a part of a team there that's called, um, where we focus a lot on rethinking exercise and sport. Um, and every individual client who comes through the program participates in this. And it's just these beautiful conversations on, um, you know, on what I was getting into, but on like what it means to, on our, I guess, healing our relationship with our body and exercise mm-hmm. and sport. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just really, really fascinating work that I think, I think our society needs a lot more of. Oh, for sure. Yes. Yeah. I yeah. mean, yeah, I think, like just, I mean, all that you were saying and how it starts. I mean, it starts from the very beginning. And, and I was going to ask you, like, how can we talk to our kids about this stuff and about their bodies and in a way that's helpful and they grow to trust themselves. And, and then, I mean, I love that you kind of you have experience kind of through all the stages, you know, you get to see people at a lot of different stages, like through your work and through your talking mm-hmm. and things. Um, uh, yeah, let's talk, let's touch on the, the mom, what we can do as how we can talk to our kids. Um, yeah. and, then, and then we need to hear more about your work too. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I guess with that, I want to preface that we are, I think we are all, 
always learning and growing and mm-hmm. I am learning and growing every day. And I'm sure and always, um, yeah, I really believe that like we do better when we know better. And I think that it's, yeah, that this, this whole journey, it's our life is a journey and a process in trying to figure out. And so I'm aware that, yeah, that I'm learning every day of like, what is, what have I said that is harmful? And so I definitely approach, um, I know moms are ready deal with a lot of guilt mm-hmm. and there's this, you know, this like constant mom guilt over like, oh, how am I, how am I, this is yeah being dramatic maybe, but like scarring my kids or what am I? Yeah. Right. Of course. And, yeah. yeah. Um, and my therapist always reminds me too, that like your kids, we're, we're, we're going to make mistakes and your kids are going to have their own traumas and things to heal from. Um, so I definitely I do a lot of work on divesting from perfectionism as a mother, especially. Um, and yeah, and I share all this because I have through my eating disorder journey and recovery, like I've believed lots of harmful things in the past and believed like that there was one right way to eat. And I had a long list of foods that I was afraid of and that I avoided. Um, so I think, yeah, going back to that, I think, now, how I, what I've learned from working in eating disorder treatment and from hearing so many, I mean, just hundreds and hundreds of stories um, of how people landed in certain spots and runners too, I think this relates to, is that um, all foods fit <laughs> and really getting away from these like binary labels of good, good and bad. And I, for me, it's, um, like last night um, at work, we had pizza. We ate a pizza dinner and had cake after. And definitely in my eating disorder and for probably like a good 10 to 12 years of my life, that was terrifying. I could not have eaten that. And I would not have eaten that because of all the stories I had attached to such a meal. Um, So with my kids, and I think as parents, a lot of it is modeling that we eat all foods, um, no food judgments. And I know, I know this is hard. I know it's hard work and I know everyone's in different places in their relationship with food and their bodies. But I think it's so important to model to our kids, um, especially as women and mothers that like, there are no bad foods that we can eat at all. Um, that we, and it, and I, yeah, I mean, just, we eat everything. Like I love, I I love quinoa kale salads, um, but I also love pizza and I love cheesecake and I love hot dogs and sausages. And so I think it's really like getting away of these fair foods in these foods that like we think are bad or we think are going to have um, some negative effect on us. Like and it's just way, I think, restricting, um, restricting and having food rules just never helps. <laughs> There's no benefit to it ever. Um, and every really like every single athlete I've ever worked with, probably every client I've ever worked with has lots of foods they're afraid of. Um, and there and there are reasons for that. And they usually have been told often by coaches um, or by parents or it was modeled that like their mother. Um, I mean, so many stories of mothers, especially who who for their own reasons, like believed that they can't eat certain foods and like, Oh, well it's okay for the kids to eat this, but I can't eat that. 
And what is that saying to our children? Or if I, as a mother, am talking negatively about my body or body parts, um, what is that saying to my kid who also looks like me? And mm-hmm. you know, lots of stories of like almost daily, I'm hearing stories from clients who, as little, little girls, were told, you look so much like your mother. And they're turning around and seeing their mother just body shame all the time in diet. Um, and so kids, I really believe um, kids see and hear everything and pick up yeah. on so much. Mm-hmm. And I think the same like with I mean, the same with movement and exercise and my daughters are competitive gymnasts um, and they're athletes and my son He's more into art. He he doesn't have like one sport he loves, but I think it's with movement. It's so much about talking about like what our bodies do for us too. Because mm-hmm. um, I mean, I I'm aware and acknowledge that like I love to run ultra marathons and I love to push myself hard um, yeah. and I love to challenge myself. And but I also speak about it. Like I know my why's for why I do it now, and I don't do it to abuse my body or because I think I need this pain or deserve it or because I'm trying to like manipulate my body or burn calories or change my body or any of that. I think it's, so I'm Mm. very, yeah, I'm very clear with my daughters for sure that like, and well, everyone about why I do this and how cool it is to like push ourselves, challenge ourselves to Mm. be our best, um, but also respect ourselves and listen to our body. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, even my uh, three and a half year old, Joanna, she, well, she'll go to bed and then I'll start running on my treadmill and she comes out and I'm like sweaty from running and I'm still not done with my run. And she's like, why are you all sweaty? And I'm like, cause I'm running. And she's like, why are you running? And I'm like, cause I love it. <laughs> like, It's something mm-hmm. that mommy has a passion about. Like, I love doing this. And she's like, I love running too. And I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. but now it's time to go back to bed. <laughs> <laughs> But she she does run on the treadmill sometimes because she knows that mommy loves it, so she wants to like it too. But yeah, it's good sharing so cool. that you know that yeah you can have passions too, and you know even when you become a mom, like you have things that you have to do for yourself too. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that like we get to do for ourselves, and I think mm-hmm. that goes back to that like um the triple stroller story. That I think- <laughs> think of of like one in on my workout this morning when I was doing my cool down and had time to think I was just thinking of like I run every day now to be um or my goal is to come back a better person Mm -hmm. come back which I feel like you two can definitely relate to and come back more grounded and at peace um and also to show my girls especially that like we as moms can still do really hard, cool things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that's, that's a piece actually that I have really, that has been so, so important to me and like the women I have in my life um, showing. And I, I think the, I think of the quote by Sally Ride that like you can't be what you can't see. I'm sure I'm getting that wrong, but um but looking at how like we need these other we need these role models um mm-hmm. who look like us and who maybe like as mothers mm-hmm. and for me um actually i i loved 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 the interview you two did with katie asmith mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And so like, I feel like those stories are ones I hold on to and yeah, keep in my pocket of like, okay, she's doing this awesome stuff. Like I can do it too. Um, yeah. And the same with you two and just all And Katie Arnold is another mo- mother runner who I really look up to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, yeah, anyway, these, these stories of, and I think that that's what we can be for our girls too. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Oh yeah. I know. I mean, I always just love these kind of stories yeah. from all the women we talk to and, and it's empowering for each of us to be like, I, I mean, we still have the capacity to do so much and a lot more than we think. And, and I, I mean, that's what I want my kids to know, to learn that they're stronger than they think they are. And, um, yeah. And it's just all about what we can do and not about what we look like or what we eat, which mm-hmm. is, you know, just hard to do. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm wondering like how, like if, if you have, if you work with a lot of people that want to become moms, but are, I I think that that, because it's hard, even if you're not struggling with an eating disorder to kind of commit to like the changes that you were talking about, that we all experience that we're going to undergo, um, or have undergone, um, you know, how do you help people work through that? Yeah, yeah, I do work. I think that is a really common theme that comes up a lot. Um, and a really scary thing, especially for someone with an eating disorder to already be trying to trust their body again and accept these changes. Um, and then to, to know, okay, someday. And actually I think that a lot of, um, there's many stories of how motherhood and pregnancy can really empower women and to, um, to like trust and accept their bodies for the first time. And I think that was even part of my journey too, was that when I, I do feel fortunate that when I got pregnant with my first daughter, I was in a strong, fairly strong place in my own recovery. Um, but definitely when I found out that I was pregnant and then found out I was having a girl, I, that really cemented it for me of like, okay, this is, um, you know, I still have some underlying deeper work to continue doing, but like these behaviors stop now. <laughs> like I yeah. am not going to carry this on and pass down these harmful mm-hmm. behaviors to my, to my own child. Um, so that became, and I think for, yeah, I think the body trust, you know, is a huge part of, of many of our journeys in our lives, but definitely of someone through eating disorder recovery. So um, yeah, it's, it's really, I think working through these pieces of what, like how can we accept our bodies and how can we trust them and how can we um, almost, as I mentioned in the beginning, like it's the second chance after puberty of like, okay, maybe, maybe during puberty and during these body changes that I went through at a younger age, I wasn't ready to accept them, but maybe now like this can be the time, this can be like a second chance almost Mm -hmm. to lean into these changes and know that um, this is like what our bodies our bodies know what to do. Mm-hmm. What would, does it look like to not manipulate and try to control and over control? Um, 
any part of it and just let our body, yeah, let our body change and grow and accept it and move into this new way of being. Um, and I think this way of, I think also the way we talk about it in sports, in culture, like in, in our society is a big thing. There's so much talk about um, going back, you know, after you have a baby. Of like, yes. I want to yeah. go back or like, let's, bounce back. Wanna, yeah, bounce back. It's always back, 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 get back <laughs> to this. Mm-hmm. And I can't take full credit for this, this statement. It was a great, a good friend of mine. Um, who runs professionally. I won't share her name because I didn't ask her for <sighs> consent to share this, though I doubt I think she would be happy. Um, but she is a mother of a three-month-old baby and um, a professional run, trail runner. And in a conversation with her, when someone questioned her, this was mid-run, and someone was like, I can't believe how fast you've gotten back to it. And she's like, no, I'm not going back to anything. I am moving forward. And why would I want to move back? Um, mm-hmm. like, I am not the same person. I'm a completely different person than I was yesterday, but definitely than I was before I had a kid. And so I think yeah. I really believe that mom, like all moms have this incredible superpower um, and the super strength. Um, and especially as runner, I mean, as runners for sure. And so, yeah, I think, yeah, part of my own journey, too, has been moving into, like, why would I want to go back to to any to yesterday? Then, like, how do we keep moving forward? Maybe society and our sport will push push the language that way, too. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. <sighs> I think it would benefit us all to be able to just keep moving into this, keep moving forward, essentially. And accepting changes. I love that perspective. And even just us starting in our own world and circles of talking like that and, Mm -hmm. and, and normalizing the moving forward versus going back, then, you know, I mean, we can all like change the world in little ways around Mm -hmm. us, you know, and hopefully have ripple effects. (laughs) But I love that, that perspective. It's, I mean, why, you know, why dwell on something that was and Mm -hmm. when it's like, I mean, we change so much as moms and none of us would choose, I'm sure would choose to go back to life before our kids. And it's like, we've just, you know, I mean, we've expanded and grown and softened and, you know, been humbled and all this stuff that's like very valuable why would we choose to just get rid of all of that, you know? Mm-hmm. But anyway. Yeah. <laughs> no, I I agree. I It's hard to not be part of the culture that's, you know, trying to get back to where you were before you had kids. But I think we all need to be, is it courageous where we kind of, you know, try to change some of those views, even if it is, like Nikki said, in our just our little circle. Um, I wanted to ask you, though, um, when we were talking about kids, is there something that as like our kids grow up and we kind of start, you know, their bodies are changing and that kind of thing. We've had not conversations about their bodies, but or how they look, how they work, obviously. But um, 
if we start noticing some things, like what are things that we notice if they're starting to get into like having an eating disorder, you know, behaviors, behaviors or different types of, yeah, sorry, Mm -hmm. that was very awkwardly worded, but what are some things that we can look for or be prepared for if that were to start happening? Yeah. Yeah. Of like some like red flags are you saying of like things that yeah. You, yeah behaviors you might notice. Um, yeah, I think there are quite a few and, um, I mean, any kind of talk or language around like dis disliking their body, I think can be, can lead into good conversations of, um, like body, body checking for sure. And that's like walking past the mirror. And, and I think in some of these behaviors, actually, probably even that I'm naming, I imagine some people will might go a light bulb might go off of like, Oh, I've done that before. Or I do that. And I didn't even know that was an issue. Um, any kind of avoiding certain foods or like, um, a really common thing that I hear, especially among young athletes, like high school age and younger, and when eating disorders or disordered eating is starting, is like avoiding desserts or avoiding certain foods and this notion of like cutting out foods and cutting out food categories. Um, a lot, any restrictive, any like following a specific diet, um, all of it is like to put into question of like, Hey, let's have a conversation around this. Like, why, why do you think, why are you avoiding desserts now? Or why are you like trying to eat only plant-based or vegan or whatever it is? Um, so some of those definitely like, I mean, I don't, I have not had a scale since, gosh, I mean, since high school, since I left home from Chicago at 18 and I never will have a scale in my house. Um, so definitely like any obsessive weighing or tracking. Um, yeah, those are some, those are like the main things that come to my, come to mind. Um, and I, I guess should be clear within there too, that like eating disorders, so much of it is not, we always say like, it is about the food, but it's also not about the food. There's so Mm -hmm. many deeper issues and, um, yeah, yeah, so many deeper issues at play and so many like indirect ways that someone is crying out for help and asking for attention and needing it, but doesn't know how to, how to ask. I, I was wondering just because of athletes being tending to love, um, control and, and, and feeling in control of their life. And, um, I, I feel like, um, a lot of times, you know, like overdoing it and, and or maybe being addicted to exercise um, is like you see that a lot. Um, <laughs> and like that's just one of the ways um, it's like maybe they're controlling what they're eating, but also controlling um, by just just doing too much, like running Mm -hmm. so much and, um, and thinking they have to do that to like stay a certain way or, or whatever the Mm -hmm. reason is, um, like how, how do you, um, kind of overcome some of the, the mental perspective of like needing to control different areas, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, that's a great question. I think something that has come up for so many people, probably more people than ever, like during COVID too, when, um, yeah, this last year, we, it hit us all hard that, oh, we have very little control over, mm-hmm. over mm-hmm. so much of our lives. Um, and so I definitely like, uh, there's been a huge rise in eating disorders um, during this last year too. Like Scott, yeah, highest numbers, I think like ever recorded. Wow. Um, and I think because of that, this exact issue of like, okay, I don't have control. So what can I control? So yeah, there's a lot of work around the compulsiveness of exercise for sure and compulsive behaviors. Um, and knowing that, that like, yes, running itself, running especially is very addicting mm-hmm. and it's easy to become compulsive about it. So we talk, I think going back to even that question of why, and that's something that I, I talk a lot with my clients about and this, and also have recognized that this is like, a, there's a simple checklist that I go through myself before mm-hmm. I run every day. And it's just a few questions of like, why am I doing this? Um, what am I hoping to get out of it? Am I doing this because I feel like I have to? Because is there like any compulsion involved? Um, or because, yeah, because like I, yeah, any of those, those notions of like that, this is something I have to do. And essentially, if, and then sometimes questioning too for an individual thing, questioning like, have I fueled enough um, to be doing this run? Have I, have I restricted water, food, fluids, any of that? Um, am I state medically stable enough? I mean, we can get into other questions, especially if someone is struggling with an eating disorder still. Um, but yeah, my simple, my simple questions to myself are always getting into the why. And if any of those don't check out, um, or if it's like, have I slept enough last night? Which as mothers, that's always a struggle. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think just being, yeah, so I guess self-awareness is so huge. Um, and also knowing that if you can't, um, if you are struggling with one of these, with any of these, like that getting professional help um, for sure. I mean, I, I think I'm a huge fan of therapy as it's I'm sure obvious from this talk, as I've mentioned it so many times, um, but that knowing that like, hey, there are people out there to help you. and um, that's okay. That's their job. It's just, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. We can all use an accountant or a, a car person or like, you know, someone to help us with things. There are mm-hmm. mental, um, professionally trained people to help us with, with the Absolutely. challenges and with piecing those apart. Um, yeah. Yeah. I like that. I like those mental checklists. That's mm-hmm. A really cool, very easy, like tangible way mm-hmm. that you can kind of check yourself. And- yeah. And it can be hard. I mean, accountability, like still for myself, the reason I have running coach um, is for accountability. Like that's the most important piece is knowing that I do love this sport so much, but I also sometimes can go down the rabbit hole a little too far. Um, and so having someone to pull me back in. Um, and sometimes that can be your partner, can be a best friend, you know, it can be a number of people. Um, I, sometimes I, I really, I have felt my own experience of beauty of being a mom too, is knowing that like, we don't have all the time in the world by any means. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
maybe if I didn't have kids, like I would be out there trying to do hundred plus mile weeks, but like, that's not, it's not an option anyway. Um, so yeah, I guess keeping like priorities and values in check too is really helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another piece that, um, my friend Caitlin talks about a lot is like pulling from the bank is like your bank account. And she's like, okay, every single run you do, how, how can you check in with yourself and be like, is this taking away or putting in? And I think as a mom, especially, that's what I ask myself. I'm like, I, cause we all know, like, we can't, we can't afford to go out there and push ourselves in a workout and then sleep the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah and right. like be out for the count. So always checking in of like, okay, is this run, like, am I coming back a better person, a stronger person? Um, all of that ties into it, I think, as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, okay, tying back into the triple stroller, and yeah. and kind of your hidden, um, kind of, I don't maybe like stubbornness of like not asking for help. Mm-hmm. If I can say that. Um, <laughs> like, you know, um, I'm kind of wondering about that. Like, how was that for you with, with, um you know, weighing if something's going to take more than it's going to give, um, or like, were you just loving it or (laughs) was it, um, like, how did you train with a triple stroller and, and do you do it anymore or are those days over for you? Yeah. So those days are over. Thank goodness. Um, Sadly, I really did grieve grieve the end of my running stroller running days and I pushed them until the very end until my kids were like way too old (laughs) um (laughs) I yeah I mean now my my kids are eight not no eight ten and eleven oh okay okay the middle one just turned ten last week that's why I called her nine still (laughs) (laughs) but I I was pushing my son in the stroller until he was seven and then finally I was like okay like he can ride a bike next to me if I need him to so yes my stroller running days are over um and I was very careful to like or conscious of passing down the triple especially to a friend who I think now has six kids um yes and runs with them incredible running mama out there um so I was like okay she'll use it I'm gonna give it to her um, except now she has too many kids to even fit in the thing, which is <laughs> I, yeah, it was a mix between absolutely loving it and also, also needing it. Like not in the, I was not a strong enough. I, yeah, I, I feel okay saying this. I don't think I was, a, I was strong enough mentally and emotionally to ask for help yet at that point in my life. Um, my husband, yeah, this was when we were living in LA still, and we didn't have any, um, any family mm-hmm. at all. I mean, closest was like New Mexico, I think. So no family, a few friends. Um, my husband was traveling a lot for his work. Um, he, yeah, he's very tied to his work always. And it's a huge, it, it meets a lot of his needs. Um, but he was working very unavailable, um, especially unavailable to like watch the kids so I could go out and run. Mm. Um, I also was not willing to ask for that support. 
And so he was traveling in China when I saw this triple stroller actually pop up on Craigslist and we had just gotten out of church. My, I was, yeah, he was in China. I was at home with the three kids and my dog. I I think had been like obsessing over Craigslist looking for a triple stroller when I found out that they even existed. Mm -hmm. Um, Actually, I found out from, I think Dorothy Beal is her name, Miles Post. Um, She is a blogger and ran with a triple stroller. And so I was like, oh, this thing exists. I'm going to find one. So yeah, one popped up like 60 miles away and we left immediately from church and drove to buy the thing. Um, I like, I don't know, paid, paid some amount of cash for it. I feel like I got a pretty good deal. It had been honestly used like twice. Um, Probably because I think the husband gave it to me and he said, yeah, my wife bought this and then realized it was crazy. (laughs) 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 Didn't want to push the thing. So here it is. Um, So yeah, I like folded up, put it in the minivan trunk and then ran home or drove home and immediately put them in it and started running. And we lived in a really hilly neighborhood. uh, And I remember like almost I'd start, I cried on the first run. And I thought I was going to, it almost came back on me. Like it was so, Um, so it was definitely a full on body workout. And I hadn't told my husband I bought it yet. So I'm like crying, (laughs) run crying up this hill thinking, what did I get myself into? And probably not being super compassionate with myself. Um, And then from there on out, like it was heaven, like just, So, so fun. Um, and we would load that thing up every day. That's how I would get them to preschool and then to kindergarten. And yeah, just load it up with snacks, tons and tons of snacks um, to keep the kids entertained. And that's how they would nap. And we would just have these like incredible fun adventures. Um, I was always, I was always kind with myself and like not looking at pace, not comparing like no comparisons. Um, I wasn't on Strava at that time either. So there was no pressure. Um, I think the longest I ever pushed that thing was like 13 miles. Um, oh gosh. Yeah. <laughs> but with a triple stroller. <laughs> That's a long ways. That's way more than that. <laughs> yeah. I once raced, I think in 2014, I raced um, a 10K with it. And when I woke up one morning and my husband had to work, it was on a Sunday morning. And I think we were just both at, we were both at hard, hard times probably in our relationship. And he was like, no, I have to work. And I was like, well, I'm registered for this 10 K. And so like, okay, I guess I'm pushing the three kids. Um, So yeah, I raced that. It honestly is one of my favorite race memories ever. Um, So maybe, maybe it all, it all worked out that he couldn't help that morning. Um, Yeah. Because no one has ever, I've never gotten so many people cheer for me as I did mm-hmm. in that time. That would be fun. That would be it fun. Would be good. It was so fun. Um, <laughs> but it was to say that I now have learned to, much more so, to take up space for myself, um, to ask for help, whether it's from, you know, we still don't have family here in Washington, but um, I mean, one, my kids are a bit older now that like we can leave them home alone for short periods of time. Or get a babysitter. Um, yeah. yeah, just to ask or yeah, ask for support in different ways. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I was wondering how running looks for you now. How do you 
how do you do it these days? And does your husband still have the same job and what does he do? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'll, I'll answer that piece first. He is not the same. So when we were in LA, um, well, he has his PhD in mechanical engineering focused on material science and is, um, an inventor and like material scientist, um, currently works for Amazon. So he works, he does some really cool work with their sustainability team. Um, like helping create new sustainable packaging materials. Nice. Um, yeah, which is really super meaningful to him. Um, and especially knowing it could have a huge impact yeah. um, and probably will have a huge impact. So he, yeah, he loves his job. Um, that's what brought us up to Seattle was working okay. with Amazon. Um, before he, in LA, he was working at a lab um, doing similar work same style but um yeah working in a lab and working a lot um still works a lot but I feel like we we find ways to balance it more also the kids being a little bit I mean kids being a little bit older is probably the biggest factor to like like just is a little bit smoother um you know there's different they say like bigger kids bigger problems um you know the parent parenting looks different these days Yes. But not as much neediness. So I, yeah, I'm, I feel like we're in this beautiful spot, um, both physically located in Issaquah, which is just like trail heaven. Um, we live right off Squawk Mountain and have like two houses, we're two houses away from a trailhead and just have like beautiful mountains to play in. So it running truly is my playtime. Um, it is like the greatest privilege and so fun. And I never, yeah, well, yesterday I woke up and I didn't feel like running and that is not, that's quite rare to me. Mm-hmm. So I didn't run. I said, okay, I'm going with this. Um, but usually it's just my fun time. And yeah, so I, it's still a lot of balancing um, every day with work. Cause I, I work full time between the private practice and at Opal. Um, so yeah, I, I'm working like over 40 hour weeks and he works I mean, more than full time. Um, and our three kids have been home for a year now doing pandemic virtual schooling. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. We find ways to make it work. Um, I and being in Issaquah, like that's I had mentioned with Caitlin yeah. a little bit and her husband, Ellie, and then another friend, Brian. And yeah, I mean, there's so many names like so probably 10 uh, maybe like eight, eight people I've met out here in the last year. We've lived here just about a year now. Um, and there's, inc- it's just an incredible um, trail running network and support system. And so those have like become my people um, and who get it. I just, I think more than ever, I guess, with the isolation of COVID, um, the social aspect of running, like, when we can get out and run and yeah, I'll say like, we're not running in groups by any means. Um, I think pre COVID there are like lots of weekly group runs out here that take place mm-hmm. that I'm dreaming of joining one day, but that is all still canceled. Um, but yeah, like Caitlin and I live actually just about a mile apart now, so we can meet oh, up on the trails. Nice. Yeah. And like mask up with our gators and run. <laughs> um, what feels safe. So yeah, it feels, feels really awesome. There's lots of headlamp runs 
I'm usually out running in the dark in the morning before work um, or like fitting it in whenever I can. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So happy that you have like found people that you're able to like get out and play with. You know, you're able to, you know, go running in the mountains and that sounds amazing because I don't have that here. (laughs) (laughs) It makes such a big difference. Yeah. Just having a trail community like right outside your door is just so I'm sure it's mentally really good for you Mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. It is. Yeah. Um, did you did you have or do any of or like were you around um Caitlin's uh effort on the Wonderland trail or you know or did you train with her or like how yeah. how what's running with Caitlin like? <laughs> yeah, um she's I mean, awesome. incredible. Like so she is that person who I've heard other people say this and I was like, yes, this is exactly her who, when you're around her, you just think that you can do impossible things I love that. Um, because she carries that energy about her, everything she does and encourages um, you to think that you can do these things too. Um, many times to the point where I'm like, am I delusional? <laughs> but but no, so incredibly empowering and so humble. Um, so I was, yeah, I moved here just about a year ago. I wasn't around during her. Um, I mean, I lived here, but I had only met her, I think, once before the Wonderland effort that she did. Um, yeah, before she set that FKT, which is outstanding. So I cool. had maybe run with her one time before that. We hadn't really fully met. Um, we had like run into each other on the trails. And so, and she was very, She's incredibly, incredibly humble um, and very quiet about like doing that. Like I, I didn't know she was doing it. Um, I actually didn't know she did it after because she didn't tell anyone. She just like <laughs> went and went and did it, um, smashed <laughs> the record. Um, I guess also a funny story. I had no idea who she was when I, I didn't know about all her accolades, um, which the beautiful part about it is that I probably would not be friends with her and would not be running with her if I had known yeah. um, because I would have told myself that like, you don't belong to run with it. Don't. Yeah. You don't belong. You're not fast enough. You're not good enough. All these things. Um, but a friend, a friend of a friend put us in touch and was like, Hey, I have this friend, Caitlin, who lives in Issaquah. You should meet up with her. So I blindly texted her. of like, Oh, I just moved to Issaquah. Do you want to run? And then I think two days later saw um, the a film about her on YouTube, the last mile by the ginger runner. And mm-hmm. it was like, Oh my goodness, Alan calling my husband. I was like, this is who I just ran with today. Um, <laughs> so legit, like had no idea who she was. Um, That's awesome. <laughs> but yes, such, such an incredible person like her and all of the other women and men who I've met out here really have, um, yeah, I think, think bring me back to this theme of like how important it is to support each other mm-hmm. and encourage each other. And whether it's as a mother or a runner, um, yeah, just empowering each other to like get out there and do what we love to do and stop being afraid of like chasing after what maybe we even think is delusional or too big or too scary. Mm-hmm. Um, because you never know. Like, yeah. 
that's what I think I love about ultra running too, is like, you've never, we do. I don't know. I don't think I've reached my potential. I don't know what my potential is. I don't think, I don't think many people have. You just, yeah. Yeah. Right. You never know. And it takes, it's a, I mean, just like our, you were saying, it's a process and it takes a long time to like try new things and learn and train and make your way up to new distances and all of that. And it's exciting stuff, you know, when you're just, when you go into things with that curiosity and really no comprehension of what's possible or not, <laughs> like that's a fun place to be. And yeah. It, and so, um, I mean, how did you, how did your running evolve into ultra running and, and what do you have coming up? Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I did write down some dates. I wrote some notes because I always get time has, is so foggy in my head. I don't know if it's part of like when you have moms. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I think so. Um, and actually, so I like checked ultra science because I was like, when was the first trail race I did? Um, I had totally thought it was 2015, but it was in 2012, apparently. So, so yeah, I had my first daughter in 2009, kind of just like started running with a stroller. Um, running, walking with the stroller. And then 2011 had my second baby and was signed up for my, which must've been my first trailer race. I was signed up for a half marathon, um, the Valley Crest half marathon, which is in LA is right off. It's basically the same trail I ran every day with the triple stroller um, and with the strollers. So I was like, Oh, there's this great trail half right here. Um, So I, I signed up for it and then got pregnant. Yeah. Then I was pregnant I think um so I like had to run it slower um I still did it but just took it easy um especially then I think there is more science and knowledge now but like back then my I had no idea like could you run when you're pregnant is it safe Mm -hmm. Uh I felt very scared about that and very much like wanted to keep my heart rate low so yeah I think that my first trail race was 2012 um and then had my third kid in 2013 and then 2014 was when um I decided okay I want to start racing again um I had very no expectations no pressure but just like oh I think I like I think I still have some things I want to do in racing Mm -hmm. and I hadn't raced since college so that was a long I mean now that and I was injured the last couple years of college so I hadn't raced in a long time um So yeah, I raced, started racing some, and then I think 2016, yeah, 2016, I did my first 50K, which was um, Leona Divide, and it was Mm. um, on the PCT Mm -hmm. in LA, great race director, Kiera Henninger, who's like just one of my favorites. Um, And I had finished third in like just over five hours and was really, um, yeah, I crossed the finish line in tears of just joy and happiness and gratitude of like, this is so fun. Wow. Um, And the two women who finished first and second that day, I'm still friends with, uh, really just from like those finish line hugs. Yeah. Celebrating. Uh. Um, Yeah. And then I, 2018 is when we moved to Oregon. So a couple of years later, and it was a hard move because in LA we did have um, a support network I had built up over the years, but ultimately knew we wanted to like move to the Pacific Northwest and not stay in California forever. Um, yeah, various reasons, but 
kind of, I don't know. Yeah, we were ready to leave, move on mm-hmm. from there. Um, so we moved to Oregon and that was a challenging time for me, for sure. We didn't, it was a first, we didn't live near trails anymore. Mm. Um, and nature, I think was so healing to me and also like where my babies were growing up in the stroller and runs and Alan was working a lot then. Um, yeah, actually like moved to it's a long story, but he took a job back in California. So I was alone, single kind of single parenting Mm. in Oregon for almost two years. Um, my gosh. Yeah. And tried to also for some reason thought it would be a good idea to try to break three hours in the marathon (laughs) Um, (laughs) oh great (laughs) yeah while like working two jobs and alone and um so experienced some setbacks for sure and like got injured pretty badly Mm. for a good year so I think I have like lots of do not did not start um Mm. For my races, never made it to the start line of that marathon. I was training for CIM. Um, okay. I think I got wrapped up in a lot of the hype of like the Olympic trials um, mm. and running with a lot of fast women in Oregon, trying, yeah, trying to keep up and my body, my body broke. Um, so then when we moved to Issaquah, a lot of, a lot of the reason we moved was to live together again. Um, it was that Alan could work he was working for Amazon in the Bay area. Um, and so it was like, okay, we can all live together and we can live near the mountains. Um, so it's, it is absolutely heavenly feels like a dream. And then to have this community and then that's when I, yeah. So I guess COVID, I mean, then hit right after. So there hasn't been a lot of racing. Um, I've gotten to do like two trail races, just really small local ones, um, for fun. And then I'm signed up for two 50 milers coming up. Um, one is Tillamook Burn in Oregon in May mm-hmm. and by daybreak racing. And then the other one also by is another um, backcountry rise by daybreak in August, okay. in July. So mm-hmm. two 50 milers. And then I'm also not many people know this at all, but um, I just signed up for I am tough for my first <gasps> hundred. Yay. Yeah, I'm tough. That's we, we were around it. Um, we were in Idaho this summer. Um, Mm. and my husband paced, uh, a friend through I'm tough. Um, Mm. and it's, it's rugged and beautiful. And that's so cool that you're going to do it. (laughs) Does he, does he want to pace me? (laughs) Yeah. I'm uh, I'm looking for pacers and crew and all that stuff. Um, oh my gosh. Yeah. We'll have to figure it out, but yeah, totally. Um, <laughs> I think, I think he's doing, um, if he's still, I mean, yeah, supposedly he's doing Wasatch, which I think is like mm. that same weekend. He was going to pace another, um, friend during I'm tough, but I think it's like conflicting dates, but yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. If you need help, like finding pacers and stuff, um, yeah, I'll probably you reach know. out to you. Yeah, to you both and let us know. And we've got people we can ask. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that will be, it will be my first. Um, wow. I'm like, part of me is terrified. I've already had a few, a few anxiety dreams about it. Yeah. Um, you know, crazy things, like crazy dreams that hopefully would never come true. Um, yeah. 
Right. But I think it all, yeah, going back to this, like, these new ways of living, of just knowing I've wanted to do a hundred miler since I was 16. It's been a dream of mine. Um, and I think when I became a mother, I, for some reason, thought that, like, okay, my running is behind me, racing competitively is behind me. And really, maybe, uh, well, I'm sure a lot of it inspired by Caitlin um, and her ability to convince everyone around her that they're unstoppable. Um, but just this notion that like, you know what, I want to do this thing. And yeah. I'm just, mm-hmm. I, I just, I want to experience it. I have no, no huge goals for myself for the race. It's just to do it and to believe in myself. Um, and believe in mothers that we can do these incredible things. Oh, totally. I'm excited. Yeah. You're going to do awesome. And like the 50 milers will help a lot too, you know, just in your training prepping for that. And I mean, I think as long as you go into it with like that kind of mindset that you're going into it with, it's like, it's going to be like, you know, keep it fun. Like that's why we're doing this kind of stuff, you know? Totally. Yeah. yeah. And see a new a, place on foot. Yeah. Yeah. I think as mothers, especially it's, I have this recognition as a mom that like this, I get to do this. Like, yeah. This is such a privilege, so much gratitude. Yeah. Um, and a place in my kids' lives where I guess I feel like I can take up space <laughs> and can't ask to do this. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I mean, I, I hope I keep living into that. Um, but also, like, we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. And I don't know what challenges um, life will present in the next couple of years and where they'll need me more, perhaps. Yeah. Um, Very true. Yeah. yeah. Just, I think Take- sometimes we, yeah, sometimes we have to just, like, just do it. And mm-hmm. you're never going right. to be fully ready for anything. Mm-hmm. So no, never, never, <laughs> never. <laughs> you gotta um, strike while the iron's hot, right? That's the mm-hmm. saying. Or, <laughs> yeah. Good for you. We need to ask you what brand your triple running stroller is and if mm. they still make it. Mm. You got um, to <laughs> Well, look, I kind of want one because Joanna doesn't, she kind of can ride a bike but like it would be like me dragging it around yeah and I don't want to do that if I want to go for a run (laughs) right yeah the triple running stroller I don't think they well I don't think they make them new anymore um my husband says because they probably sold five ever (laughs) (laughs) then people realized um, there's not a huge market for them I, gosh, what is the brand? I need to look up from the picture or maybe even in the picture that I sent to you, yeah. you might be able to see it because I'm blanking on what brand it was. Um, okay. but you would, yeah, look for, look, look on Craigslist. Well, there's <laughs> uh, like no Craigslist. running around me. So I was like trying to find, like, if I wanted to even just get a double Bob, I would mm-hmm. have to drive over 120 miles mm-hmm. to get one. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> There's yeah. barely any anything. Yeah. So I mean it was part of it was glorious. Like it was yeah. awesome. Like I, well, I, I, I just think like there's no trails around us, but there's a running path in the town kind of closest to us. And there's some parks along there. So I'm like, if we just run and we go and we let the kids play in the park for a little bit and then run back to the car, 
Like that's yeah. something for them to do. Mm-hmm. That'll, mm-hmm. you know, kind of pass some of the time too to keep them busy and active and running with me too. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's just like how, I mean, I, when I run with the double or when I did run with the double, like <sighs> I would feel so depleted afterwards, like just so drained. Cause I would, um, a lot of what I do is, well, on a normal day, I would not be able to go more than like three or four miles. Um, but then on Thursdays I would have a mom group I'd run with. So mm-hmm. I'd run downtown with the double. So that's like a mile and a half. And then we do like a five mile loop and then I'd run home. So like at the end of the day, it would be like, you know, eight to nine miles. Um, and, but I just would feel like dead, just mm-hmm. dead. And I don't know, like, did you ever feel like that? Um, yeah. it just me, like, I would feel like, just pushing it on the way home, like slightly, a slight incline, I would just <laughs> be like hunkered over, you know? Yeah. Um, and no, just- I, I definitely felt like that. <laughs> I think it's, it's so hard. I mean, it's the, like, that's, I don't think I will ever, maybe not even a hundred, I want to say, I don't think I'll ever like run as hard or like, I don't think I, anything could ever feel as hard. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, running with that thing. Like I definitely summon up that strength in races and in the hard trail races of being like, okay, I can do this. Cause I pushed that stroller up that hill mm-hmm. and now I'm just solo how much easier it is. Yeah. And then the only, the other piece is like, just e- is eating. I mean, that's always my go-to thought of like, uh, yes, you need to eat a lot more and like not compare like nine. There's no equation for like how that compares. I don't know, like yeah. nine miles. I used to want to on Strava put like nine with the triple equals like, I mean, maybe over 18 solo. Yeah. Yeah. It's so much more. Yeah. Like a a full body workout for Mm -hmm. sure. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, if you, I would, I would, yeah, I would bring all the snacks for the kids and then also like find myself just eating so much. Yeah, that's true too. And and usually that's what we forget is like to fuel ourselves because we're busy you know, giving so, the fueling the kids. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For well, their ride. I know. <laughs> <laughs> For them to sit I always there. liked it because I didn't have to get up really early. Like if I knew I was going for a run with oh, the kids yeah. with a double stroller, I didn't have to get up at four, you know, before mm-hmm. everybody woke up and Erin left for work and I didn't have to do it during nap time so I could relax and I didn't have to do it after they went to bed. Like the times that they were sleeping were more for me, even though mm-hmm. I, it's nice running by yourself too, but it was nice I, getting yeah. that done. I think that's exactly why I always opted to run with the stroller. It yeah. was always like, okay, I, I saw the option and I saw the moms out there 5 a.m. doing it solo, or I can just do it on their time. And I was stay. I was like at home with them. Yeah. Right. So you're also kind of looking for ways to entertain them and like exactly. Yeah. Fill yeah. so that time. Half the so. day. <laughs> we yes. all need to get through the day, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. And if that's keeping you happy, and yeah, yeah. I was looking There's for a triple, and I like cannot find any, even like new. Yeah. I think they're just not making them anymore. Um, Great. Yeah. <laughs> just kidding. 
I know. Maybe maybe you can find one sometime, Steph, and just make a, a really trip. fun day trip out of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> yeah, go like, on a road trip. <laughs> yeah. But anyway. Oh so. man. Oh. This was so. This was really super fun for me. Um, yeah. Oh, so fun oh, for us too. too. I mean, it's been such a a joy to talk to you. And I mean, well. I just feel, I feel inspired and I feel ready to like take on my running when once I'm not pregnant anymore. And, (laughs) and even like, you're actually kind of making me excited to run with the stroller again, which I never thought I would say that ever. Um, Well, I I think I was like, oh, I'm excited for, you know, summer when I can, you know, I'm due in July. And I can run both girls. And Nikki's like, you're going to run pregnant with a double stroller. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I've been kind of bitter towards it um, recently. But yeah, no. And yeah, just everything you shared, all your honesty, it's really appreciated. And I think um, we all need these kind of um, conversations and like messages just to um, help ourselves you know, think better about, um, our bodies, what we're capable of, um, the food we eat. I mean, just, just some empowerment. And like, so thank you for sharing that with us today. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Super fun. Um, before we let you go, we have two questions that we always ask. So the first question is, what is your favorite race you've ever run? Mm. Yeah, so many, but I'll just go with the the first one that popped in my head was Bulldog 25K. It's in the Mount, it's actually the same, it's in Malibu um, on trails. Mm. Same course that I think Sean O'Brien, which is like a pretty well-known ultra, traverses yeah. many of the same trails. Um, and it's, I think Bulldog actually is the longest, maybe the longest running trail race, definitely, I think, on the West Coast, maybe in the country. It has some tagline like that, Um, but really, really fun one. And I think it um, is my favorite because I just I pushed myself so hard. I ended I ended up winning it when I didn't think I could. Um, Wow. I was chasing down first place. I was way behind in the beginning and chased down for first place really hard. And it was just a fun memory of like maybe my first time that I won in a long time and like believed in myself a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I love that feeling. Um, okay. So second question is what is your favorite um, go-to meal that you like to eat or cook for your family? Mm. Eat with your family. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I know you two always ask that question and it's a fun one to like, listen to people's answers. Uh-huh. I think especially, I, I'm going to go with nachos. Um, mm-hmm. that's a family favorite and probably also one that like I was afraid of for during my ED, I would not have allowed myself to eat that. Um, and now recognizing that like nachos are delicious. Nachos are fit all the, um, all the different exchanges and proteins and grains and fat and mm-hmm. uh, tastiness. And yeah. it like hands down my kids favorite thing that we make together um, mm-hmm. because it's so versatile and you just mm-hmm. like 
can layer on whatever you want, whatever mm-hmm. you feel like that night and always make a difference. Um, so yeah, that's probably one of the favorites for us. Yeah. Awesome. What are your favorite toppings to put on it? Yeah. Um, yeah, always like, I think like cheese, shredded chicken, beans, mm. um, like scallions, green onions, um, black olives. Yum. Yeah. And then, I mean, guacamole, of course, guacamole and sour cream. You got to put corn. Sweet corn, mm, like yeah. Of sweet corn. I feel like we we often forget that. So it's so good. That's a good idea. Yeah. Now, I, now I'm thinking that will be our dinner our dinner tonight. Yum. <laughs> easy too. Yeah, mm. I love that. Cool. Good. Well, thank you so much again for being on today and sharing your wisdom with us. Yeah. Thanks, Steph and Nikki. Super nice to meet you. Yeah. Thank you too. We really enjoyed talking with Caitlin today. I love how positive she is. I love how um, that she said she was willing to work on vulnerability and like opening up and sharing her story too. Cause I'm sure it's a hard thing to talk about. Um, eating disorders are never anything fun. Um, one of my favorite moments of this podcast was her talking about like, because I resonated with it so much, like, asking for help is such a hard thing and, you know, being able to kind of work through some of that so that, you know, you, you, you take up space too, as a mom, like you're just important as your kids. And sometimes we need to put yourself first. Um, and that all food fits, which we talked about with Heidi too, like you can eat whatever you want. You don't want to, you know, shame your kids for eating, you know, whatever a cake at a birthday party like no they can have that like it's not mm-hmm. gonna kill them they're gonna be fine um I just I really really enjoyed this episode and she's just so positive mm-hmm. which makes me want to be more positive <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh yeah totally me too and um just the reminder that we are we do set such a big example for our kids and Um, I think it's just really about trying to love ourselves, you know, like that's what I I kept thinking about. It's like, you know, I think, I think Caitlin really learned how to love herself and like embrace the different parts of herself. And, um, you know, that's so important with healing in any way. And, and just as moms, like, you know, we deserve to love ourselves also and, and show our kids that they're worthy of love. And, um, I don't know, that's just something I was thinking about. And I loved just hearing empowerment on how to do that. So we hope you all enjoyed this as much as we did. And if you did, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. You can also subscribe to Treeline Journal's newsletter, which is found at treelinejournal.com. We'll send out one email a week with the latest articles and episodes. And you can follow us on Instagram at runhardmomhardpod. You can email us at runhardmomhard at gmail.com. Or you could leave us a voice message using the anchor link in the show notes below. 
Also, check the show notes because we will link to Caitlin's website um, for her recovery coaching. And and it's a really empowering, useful tool also. Um, she's got some great writing on there. And, and if you or someone you know needs help, don't be afraid to reach out. If we've learned anything in this episode, it's that you're strongest when you ask for help. And also don't forget to go to recorefitness.com and use code RHMH15 for 15% off your order. <laughs> Have a good one and you got this. Dive in. Are you ready? <laughs> yeah, ready. Steph is like Nikki and her enthusiasm. <laughs> You're not feeling it. so tired. <laughs> Okay, well, let's get this over with then, so yep. then you can um, go rest and, or, you know, rest. Yeah. Okay, wow, I think I'm talking, like, really slow. Um, through. Oh, my gosh, no, like, this is so stupid. What <laughs> the heck is going on? Okay, no, okay, I'm going to start over, and then I'm going to do it, so. It's, it's gonna be good. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be good, I promise. I don't even know what I just said. Like, I can't even start over, because. Okay. Go for Did it. you want to add something? No. Go Fine. for it. Add no, something. No, 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 no. <laughs> Don't give me that attitude. I get enough from the girls. <laughs> you were giving me that look. You're like, <laughs> like that's where your girls get it. Jeez. <laughs> no. oh, you, you are not being very nice today. I'm going to start crying. <laughs> You're rubbing off on me. It's your fault. <laughs> I know. The brain is contagious. I just swore. I'm sorry. I'm hot. Yeah. I was sweating earlier, so it's fine. I'm so sweaty. I'm just... Well, it's good enough. Oh my gosh, this is so hard. Okay. <laughs> um. You got this. Thank <laughs> you for the meaning behind those words. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay.